0: The blockchain experience experience bringing dope content to the audience
1: welcome to the blockchain experience bringing dope content to the audience hello gmgm GM, and welcome to the very first episode of season two of the podcast the blockchain experience i'm your host meta david The guest we have today is the amazing Gabe Weiss, a Bay Area-based artist and just like an all-around awesome guy. So uh, we're going to get to that interview, but I just wanted to touch on some housekeeping items first. So as some of you guys are aware, you can mint each episode of the pod. We've partnered with Nifty Gateway to do that this season, and I think things are working out pretty well. We did a trial run a couple weeks ago. We had about 220 mints, so I'd say that worked out pretty well. Uh, The cool thing about Nifty Gateway is that they have a super optimized contract. So I'm uh, able to offer you guys the episodes for like a dollar, and that's an all-in price. It's on the Ethereum network. It includes gas. So the only reason it's a dollar is because Nifty Gateway forces me to charge something, and the minimum amount they force me to charge is a dollar. Otherwise, I'd make it for free, but kind of the trade-off last season is We did allow it to be – it was free last season, but it was on manifold, right? So you still had to pay gas, and gas, especially during last season, could easily be in the double digits. And, you know, we got feedback that that started to pile up, which is certainly understandable. So this season, it's only a dollar each episode, all in. Mint as many as you want. Go crazy. Um, We're not going to limit that this season. So I think, again, it's working out pretty well. So why would you want to mint an episode? So – I'll tell you a few things. Uh, As a podcaster, I get some like macro level basic analytics as to who's who who the listeners are. But by making it available, the episodes, making it available to Mint, I'm getting more direct line of sight as to who you are and able to better engage you, activate you and interact with you. And, you know, in some ways, even sometimes being able to pay it forward with a gift of my own. So, uh, last season, we did a whole bunch of cool things, man. Uh, we did Bitcoin inscriptions for our loyal listeners. We airdropped Sabet's Tokyo punks. Uh, at the end of the uh, at the end of the last season, as you guys saw on crypto Twitter, uh, we took out uh, an ad on uh, Times Square, a large billboard, and put everyone's PFP and Twitter handles that were loyal listeners and loyal mentors. So. We're going to do really cool things again this season, just novel things that, um, you know, just kind of push the boundaries of what's possible when uh, when, uh, the blockchain is being used in this kind of manner. So really cool stuff to look forward to this season. So that's one perk of minting. Uh, another perk I would say is the fact that at the end of each episode, we're going to do that, do this at this episode, uh, at the end of this episode is that we give shout outs to everyone that we can trace back as a minter. So I think it's always cool to kind of hear your name on a podcast. And then lastly, I think when you mint the episode, it just kind of gives you a little bit more skin in the game and you feel a little bit more connected to the podcast and the hope is, is that by collecting these episodes, they'll be like vintage one day. And uh, it's something that you can look back and has value to you the same way that you could look back at things from like the 50s or 40s and 60s. And they're nostalgic. I mean, even if you're like uh, looking at things from like the 80s, 90s, again, still nostalgic. As if you've been listening to me for I've been on uh you know, quote unquote, the air now on podcast land for about a year now, Uh, you'll kind of see the pattern that I don't think of things as just like what's in front. Like right now I'm looking at things down the line and it's not just like three months or six months. It's more like five years, 10 years, 15 years. Um, Some cases like literally forever uh, because I am a big believer that the way that the blockchain can be used is that these things can persist uh, in perpetuity. So, and I think that concept is very interesting that we can have generations of folks look back and look at these things because they're on the blockchain. So I really want to push the boundaries of that and just do some cool things. So all that's to say is that the overarching goal is really just to bring back value to you guys as listeners in all forms and just keep things interesting and fun. So, Those are the housekeeping items that I want to touch on. We're going to get to the Gabe Weiss interview. Then after that, we're going to do the shout outs. But of course, there's one thing that we have to do before we do all that. And that's a word from our sponsors. Ledger is the smartest way to secure crypto holdings. Their hardware wallets are trusted by over 4 million customers. Ledger can be used to secure, store, and manage over 1,800 crypto assets. Using the Ledger Live app, you will have a one stop shop for your crypto needs. Buy, sell, exchange, and grow your assets with Ledger's partner securely and easily. Stop getting your wallet drained. Head over to ledger.metadavideth.com and take self custody today. Have you ever wanted to display your NFT art in the physical world? Look no further than Token Frame. Token Frame's patent high quality physical displays start at 10 inches and run all the way up to 55 inches. They're truly built for authenticity. Just sign in with your wallet, connect to Wi-Fi, and cast your NFTs. It's really that simple. And best of all, no subscriptions. Token Frame supports Ethereum, Polygon, and Solana, with Tezos on the way soon. It's no wonder they're trusted by OpenSea, SuperRare, Nifty Gateway, and more. Start flexing your NFT art by visiting tokenframe.metadavideth.com. Again, that's tokenframe.metadavideth.com.
2: Gabe, welcome to the podcast. How are you, sir? I'm doing well, quite well. Very good to be here. Thanks for the invite.
1: Yeah, thanks for coming on. So, you're a household name in the Web3 space, and you've got an amazing style that I think everyone's in love with. But for the benefit of just like everyone listening, can you give an introduction on yourself?
2: Yeah, so I'm a Bay Area. I, I kind of call my art's dream of consciousness cubism. So, most of it just kind of comes naturally, I would say, after drawing every day for 20 years. Um, been a full time artist for coming on two years now, close to two years, but I mean, an artist most of my life and been having a lot of fun in Web3, that's for sure.
1: So, uh, have you always been like, you said 20 years, I'm not going to make any uh, guesses on your age, but have you always been artistically uh, inclined or has that been something that came later in life?
2: No, I mean, I was, I took like AP art in high school. It was like my one AP course. (laughs) Uh, I just was like, yeah, I'll take the AP art. But I, I did art throughout grade school and high school and then, Never took an art class in college because it didn't really work with my major, but I did paint most days uh, in college still, too. So it was always just my way of relaxing. Never been a TV guy. So it was always like a better way to relax at the end of the night.
1: So how did you make that transition from like it seeming almost like a hobby or a way of relaxing and de-stressing into becoming like a full-time artist and making a living out of it?
2: So I was a, I was into politics and uh, community organizing and I I kind of always felt a little guilty making art because I was so good at the politics. I kind of felt like that was where I could make a bigger impact on the planet. So like it felt a little I don't I don't know like selfish making art in some ways. And so, it wasn't until I started getting pretty popular on Web3 and then I kept talking to folks and like, you can make a bigger impact through your art than through politics. And that eventually, after about a year of Web3, that eventually kind of hit me and I was like, well, let's give it a go, see how big of an impact I can make through the art. Um, I'd also say it didn't hurt that I had done very well. That year, so had made about ten years worth of political money in a year. So I was like, kind of, if it goes all the hell, I at least have some money in the bank. I won't go starving.
1: Was Web three like your catalyst for going into art full time? Was that what opened up the pathway to be able to do that?
2: Yeah, I mean, I I've had like one gallery show shown in some group shows um, prior. And had a few sales, but I just, I worked so hard in politics. Like I had an Instagram account that when I think I started Web3, I had about 70,000 followers. So it wasn't like, yeah, it wasn't like I had nothing coming into Web3, but I, I I was not in galleries. I was not like selling my work for tens of thousands of dollars or anything like that I was just kind of making my art and doing a like no post of my face they were pretty much just this is my art every day
1: it has your art because you've got that distinct and I might be using the wrong word here but I call it like cubist style cubism yeah Yeah. so has that always been your style going back to even like 20 years ago or has it kind of like changed over the years or how's that journey look like for you?
2: I mean, I kind of think I'm the epitome of the 10,000 hours. Like when I look back, like I thought some of the stuff from 20 something years ago were cool, but I'm like, eh, wasn't that good. Uh, But practice does make you get better. So uh, I would never say perfect, but I think I've kind of, you know, gotten to my style where I'm pretty comfortable with it. Uh, I'm going
1: to I'm gonna get a little nosy here. Like, what kind of stuff were you drawing 20 years ago? Was it like fan art or what was it that wasn't very good? Yeah, just dying to know.
2: I just didn't have a style. Like, I didn't have a set style. So, like, some of them would be surrealism or some of them would be, like, sky paintings or some of them would be um, – like attempts at pop art, but I just like, I just hadn't found my my lane, I, I would say. So, and so now, when I did find my lane, it wasn't worth that good. It was like the style now, but it's not very good.
1: But I was going to say like now you definitely found your lane. I mean, like when people look at your art, they don't have to like look it up or make a guess and say like, oh, I don't know. I mean, it's distinctly. Gabe, why? So at what point did that happen? Did that happen like right at, you know, when you're making that foray into Web3 or had it already happened by that point?
2: Yeah, I think it uh, probably about 10 years ago, it crystallized was like, this is my art. So yeah, about going on about 10 years.
1: Okay, so it's been a it's been a hot minute. So Um, we'll talk about your collections in a little bit, but I know that you've done a lot of things recently in terms of travel. You were at Lisbon, you've been at VCon. So can you just give us a little bit of like a recap of what, I mean, I wasn't at either one of those things. So definitely a FOMO factor at play there, but, uh, like what were you doing there? What were some of the cool things that you saw and did? So can you just kind
2: of make us feel a little, a little bit more FOMO? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, These Web3 events, it's interesting because there's not the same hype around Web3, but the people that are showing up are the people that are really dedicated to it more. Um, And as I've gotten popular, maybe I get invited to cooler stuff lately. So, like, between that combination, it's, like, they're really super fun for me. I mean, there's... uh, just a lot of events as soon as Vcom's done there's kind of just meeting people I'm so bad like I rarely actually ever get to see any of my friends as they give the panels like I'll start I'll start to get close and then I'll run into five people and then I tend to draw a lot of one-on1 for people which is kind of how I've made my name I've gotten pretty popular for doing like quick little sketches of folks when I when I meet them, but then once you start, it just like a line forms every time.
1: I was going to actually ask that. So now that we're on the topic, I, yeah, I always see pictures of people with you and they're holding like art that you drew for them, like ad hoc, like right there. And then is it just as simple as what it seems like? Is that I can just like walk up to you and go, hey, Gabe, can you draw this? Or can you draw something for me? Or like, is there a secret word I have to say? Or well, how,
2: how does that look like? So, stoic holders, people that have one of my stoics or one of my like uh art NFPs from art by Gabe Weiss on OpenSea or something, they're they're a guaranteed one. There aren't too many people I'll deny though. I mean, I, I really have this idea of like, I don't know how much you follow Keith Herring, mm-hmm, yeah. but. But from, like, how he approached the selling of art is something that I have tried to mimic a little bit in the sense of he does a lot of free stuff. He did a lot of free stuff for folks and then also had, like, a pop. It was called the Pop Store. So it was, like, you could get Keith Haring's on T-shirts or hats or, or whatnot. And then he also then sold the big gallery pieces for lots of money. And I think for me, it's like having having that combo. It's like the little sketches are the gateway drug, I feel like, into the Gabe Weiss universe. And usually once people get one thing, they want to collect more. It's been my experience. So some people are like, I can't believe you give away for free, but I do think it's really helped kind of Mark, how I'm different from a lot of the other Web3 artists?
1: Yeah, I I would say so. I mean, it's easy to say for me as just like a collector type um, that like, hey, it's a cool thing. But kind of like if I were to put my business hat on, it just also seems like a way to your point. I, I doubt you're... You know, making people pull up their mobile meta masks and spot checking everyone. But I think for the most part, people who are asking are inherently collectors anyway. And there might be that small subset of people that might not be. And I would, yeah, like I said, suspect that it's very small, very little. And they probably almost feel like a sense of indifference like gratitude and debtness that they would want to go back and buy it too. It'd just be kind of weird to just have a hand-drawn piece. So like my take on it is unsolicited take is that it, it seems to be something that's working really well. And I think also when people are just posting that pictures, posing with you and you're retweeting, um, and this is just people are seeing that it's just like all over Twitter feeds and getting that awareness out there. And I, I got to imagine that it just is something that, um, That works really well for you. And it seems like, you know, given your success and track record that you have in Web3, it seems to kind of reaffirm it.
2: Yeah, I think especially with how good AI art is going to get over the next five years, 10 years, like it's already good, but I think it's going to get absurdly good. I think it's going to be really important for to show your humanity and to have a connection with your collectors. So I, I think I have a deeper connection with my collectors and kind of most artists who have done well in in the space. I think a lot of them probably don't know too many of their collectors, except maybe the very top end.
1: Yeah. So um, not everyone's going to have like that access to you in person because you're just like one guy based out of the Bay area. And then you, you know, you do your travel to uh, different venues and events, but like, what are your suggestions in terms of how, uh, artists can maintain that relationship with their collectors uh, because I mean, that's, it, I feel like it's always a changing scale. It used to be through like Discord, but um, I know for me personally, I'm not on Discord as much because I think it's just been like I'm on too many Discords that it's gone to the point that I just can't pay attention to them all. Um, and then I guess like after that, the new thing has been like Twitter groups. And then similar thing with Discord is that I'm on too many of them. So I have to put like all of them on mute. So like, uh, how do you, how do you, uh, what do you think is the current meta right now? And then also, how do you, uh, I would have another question is how do you also straddle. Being accessible to collectors, but I also know anecdotally that sometimes collectors can be a little, um, I don't know, they like have wants and needs and demands sometimes. And as an artist, you don't have like an obligation to like, you know, fulfill everything. Um, You can't and some things that you just, you know, doesn't make business sense for you, let's say, or you have your own reasons that you don't want to. You're creative and you should be able to create in the way that you want to and with the cadence that you want to. So like, So a question is kind of like twofold um, for is kind of for the benefit of my artist friends that are listening right now is just like, what do you think is the best way to be able to connect with um, collectors uh, that you might not be able to necessarily see in person or engage with in person? Also, how do you kind of just straddle that careful relationship between like you want to be close to your collectors, but at the same time, you know. There has to be like a limit. Um, And I've heard this brought up by artists before on Twitter spaces too, that uh, that, uh, there can be sometimes a line that collectors cross um, in terms of what they want an artist to do.
2: So I've been pretty lucky. A, I called my thing the Stoics. So I think naturally a lot of folks you know, are more stoic that got into the collection, so they maybe have longer... Well, touche, yeah, I like that. (laughs) Longer horizons. One that I really preach is email lists. Like, Mm -hmm. even if you just do a monthly newsletter of some sort and share kind of what's going on in your life, I think that's really worthwhile. So I think I probably have one of the largest email lists. Uh, And... One thing I learned in my first month or two talking to a pretty good collector of mine was just like, demand is your friend. So, I kind of always priced stuff so that people could like make money right away. Like There's probably... So, there'd usually be like at least one or two quick flips where people made, I don't know, 50% more, or 35% more right away. And so, that kind of always kept the demand strong mm-hmm. and I think if you have demand, and then you're offering an email list where like people get first access to your drops by being on the email list. So there's actually like a value to, to being on the email list. I think that's a very strong thing to do. I, I will say, because of all the weird stories I've heard for these top end collectors, like I've never like I never got on super rare or Nifty or any of these big sites. I did everything through OpenSea um, and kind of always did it as additions. My, my thought process was just like I didn't just get away from politics to have like a couple rich crypto dudes feel like they own me. Like I And like, that's what I think I've seen a lot from my friend. Like, and it's like, I didn't want to screw anyone over. Like you sell a piece for 30 ETH and then you sell one for 10 ETH like the next week and you've kind of screwed over the person who bought it for 30 ETH. But like, there's only so many people on the planet who can drop 30 ETH on a NFT. And so just catering to those few people on the planet, this has very little appeal to me. So I think pricing stuff so that no one really can own you. I mean, we have a couple complainers in the discord around Stoics at one point, and they just kind of left. And like, I think the one biggest complainer I just had a phone call with or a FaceTime with and just let them go into it. And I think we both, agreed that it was fine like we didn't there's no more there was no beef after that i think it's just like you got to be authentic and i think most people are pretty reasonable
1: okay so it seems like for the most part you've been able to kind of dodge it and yeah maybe uh just naming the collection the stoics <laughs> kind of uh, <laughs> at least one i mean you're known for many other pieces and um collections as well in addition to that but um you know having a, a collection called the Stokes. how many tokens are in that collection again it's not a 10,000 5, yeah 5,000 so okay 10. yeah so um, and I remember when it dropped and yeah that was a big deal um one thing that really struck me when I looked through the collection um the stoics so for our listeners actually before I go go there do you want to kind of describe what it looks like um for the people listening
2: so I mean, it's in my signature style. They're all they're all faces uh, for the most part. I also collaborated with like thirty different artists who are part of part of the collection. And then within little shapes in the face, there can be um, like currency or maps or different different things that we found that were pre. Um, just fair use, so no copyright infringement possibilities. But like all of my favorite books from 19, I think it's like 42 or something like that prior can be in there. Uh, currencies, maps, older maps. So, um, it kind of comes from the during the pandemic, I got popular on Instagram by kind of telling people like, don't make excuses, just make art. Because like you couldn't get to a lot of art stores, but like I had phone books around and cereal boxes and like I was just making art on all these different kind of scrap things, maps and different things. So, I kind of wanted to incorporate that into the Stoics as kind of my ode to staying Stoic and just making art no matter what.
1: Is there an element there in terms of like a commitment to sta- uh, sustainability too? Is that playing a factor in that?
2: Huge. Yeah. I mean, when especially as you read how bad most recycling is, if I'm honest, like the reuse is by far the best thing you can do with, with materials. So I I'm a real big fan of trying to reuse things that otherwise would just – I mean, maybe it would be recycled, but not as, I don't, I think that's one of those things where you feel better for doing it than it actually does for the planet.
1: Yeah. And that was actually one thing that struck me. And I was going to ask a question about that, but you naturally led into the segue is that when I was looking uh, through the collection, when it first um, revealed is that there are a lot of like you said, like phone books, currency, and that sort of thing, um, which it looked really amazing. And for me, those are kind of like the grail type pieces uh, in the collection. And so I thought maybe that there was also, uh, I mean, it looked cool, yes, but I was wondering also if there was just like some sort of tie into uh, sustainability there too, which it seems like very much so from what you're saying.
2: Very much so. And a lot of Easter eggs. Like I, the Stoics is my like endless game, I call it. So. Certain thing games are just like you know exactly what it is and it's done and you play it you know Stoics is kind of I'll build off of it in a lot of weird ways but like we've done cool stuff where people and when at Art Basel got special NFTs if they had a Florida map uh, Stoic oh, that's so like. So cool. so like there's just, there's just cool ways to play around with a lot of the stuff in there that like I'm really anti utility. I'm really for like surprise and delight. So it's like the people that want to play the long game with me, I think will be surprised and delighted over the years, and um, that's just kind of the approach I want to take with Web three generally.
1: Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I think with Web three, um, you really do have to look at this in a on a long term horizon, especially when it comes to art. You know, you just can't look at like a floor price and how it's doing on a day to day basis. Um, you can't even really do that with a PFP collection. These aren't stocks, so I like. I've always been an advocate, and I say this on the podcast all the time: is like one, just buy what you vibe with just like always, 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 Uh, I would not even necessarily advocate like rarity because if it's not something that you vibe with, but it's rare, I mean, I don't think it really like, you know, is providing max satisfaction to you. So just buy whatever you vibe with. And second, just like spend money that you can afford to lose. And I think if you just do those two simple things, you're always going to have fun in this space, you know, like you can't really lose. But if you're if you're like staying up at night because you know floor price is down or you're just like anxious about stuff like i would say dude you're overexposed in this space like i mean like it's just not this isn't yeah i mean we could talk about this i've ranted about it before but i just am a it's a good strong, rant yeah it's like a, a super
2: good rant i yeah, think a, it's the most important one maybe. yeah
1: just buy what you vibe with with money that you can afford to lose and then like you'll always have fun in this space you just can't like you'll always have fun you'll the connections that you'll make with um like the artists that you collect from and other people within the community i mean it just like it's worth its price in gold so so yeah i I really love your ethos there so I'm gonna assume that uh, you're kind of like an adherent to uh, the Stoic movement. Is there like a backstory? Like, did you read something in high school, or like that kind of like got you into that? Or uh,
2: what's way Genesis later. story? Yeah, I mean, I was, I was, I think I was naturally a Stoic, but it wasn't until the pandemic hit really, and I was listening to a Tim Ferris podcast in the first like month or something of of the pandemic, he's like, This would be a good time to study your stoicism. I was like, damn straight. <laughs> so my wife and I we were like my in laws were watching we were like a tiny pod with my in laws were the only people we were really seeing and I got two kids. And so it was like a forty minute drive and so every day driving back from picking them up we would listen to stoic books on Audible and it just kind of got both of us, like I kind of crushed the pandemic, like had went hiking every day with my kids, like really took art a lot more seriously, um, you know, just deep in my relationship with my wife, like across the board, but I really think it was because we were kind of constantly like reinforcing it with like stoic philosophy just made it almost like a game of like, I refuse, like I choose happiness sort of thing. Like when I think stoicism really comes down to like control what you can control. And it's like, usually that's your own mood versus like outside factors. Like it wasn't like pandemic was awesome to be happening, but it's like, I can either choose to be happy and make art and, be a better dad and husband, or I can wallow in self-pity, but that won't get me very far. I'm a big believer in that,
1: that you can kind of like take... Um, you know, there's always two paths, no matter how dire the circumstances there are and just kind of follow, uh, one of them. And, you know, uh, it's, it's kind of in your own hand. So you've got the Stoics and then you have another collection, uh, the friends, which I remember was on open Sea. that was one of the first, like, uh, official, like open drops. If I remember right. If not the first one or no. So.
2: I mean, they've been doing it for a month prior. Um, okay. There was a piece Danny Cole did called Crowd. Um, and a lot of people have been doing open editions in, like, January, early February. They're really hot. And I tend to not like to do stuff in the meta because it's that's how you get the kind of angry collectors who are like like are in this frenzy at a moment. It's like, I don't want to bring people in on a frenzy. Like stoics I dropped at the barest of bear markets. Friends I dropped in the barest of bear markets. Like, I'd rather drop where people to your point are like, I just like the art um, first and foremost than like they're doing it because they're feeling hype because a few drops that they bought recently went up in value and now they're like in a in a craze. So it was an open edition. Uh we end we end up doing buy one, get one free for stoic holders. And so fifty seven hundred or so minted and then two thousand went to stoic holders, so end up being seven thousand seven hundred and seventy-seven. Oh snap, I didn't know it was that high. I think what I really
1: liked about your drop was the fact that a lot of these open editions that I've seen on OpenSea are actually, frankly, with almost like any of them, it's like the same image and it's just like an open edition. So you could get, you know, 10,000. And that's fine. I mean, sometimes that works. And I've collected those also. So no dig against that. But what I really liked about yours is that it was, like, generative in the sense that no two images were, like, alike. So – and the price was pretty – 0.015? I
2: can't remember. It was point zero one ninety. Okay. 19, 1984. I was going to ask, just, and there was a significance behind that number, right? Yeah. So that was just the – I remember, like, that was the first time – I think 86 – yeah, 1986. But that was the first year that I remember like in first grade, I used to draw and then me and my my friend Nick would trade like our drawings to each other. And oh. so, kind of like going back to like I really made my career by having I think a lot of friends in, in the space and drawing a lot of these one-on-ones. So, I thought it made sense to kind of commemorate the first time I gave a drawing away. Uh, as part of it. And then I also just I love creating in a guilt free manner. Going back to like it was end up being like thirty-four dollars, which like isn't no money, but it's also like reasonable. It's like a Chipotle. I mean going out with the wife to Chipotle or something like that. I mean like it's it's a price where like I don't sit there and worry about the floor price and like I think it's some of the coolest art I've seen and you get a 101 Gabe White for 34 bucks so like I like putting it out there and that I mean that came from Danny Cole's crowd drop what I was gonna say earlier is like I think some artists like everything they like I try to be very innovative and but I'm also willing to, when I see a really good idea, iterate on it. And that was the first time. I think the two of us are the only two I've ever seen do it actually, where it was like when he when he did it, I was like, that's exactly what I want to do. Because I think to your point, just having if I'd had 7,000 of the exact same image out there, it just really wouldn't have scratched much of an itch for me. Whereas this was the mo- so with the Stoics. I, me and one other person, Bobby, who was on the Stoics team, we went handpicked through a hundred thousand Stoics to get our five thousand. Oh wow! So like, like it was generative, but it was like us going through. Like, I like that one. I like that one. So almost every Stoic, like to me, is pretty darn special. It's like one that I personally liked. Um, the friends drop was the fr- I picked all the palettes, two hundred like fifty six different palettes to make it. But at a certain point, it was just like, do your thing, algorithms. Like and <laughs> so, like to this day, I'll see people post them and I'll be like, whoa, I haven't seen that one. That one's awesome.
1: Yeah, that's what I loved about that collection is that it was super accessible. Uh, it was – each one was unique, and they all looked so darn cool. And I remember – I think it went on during, like, a Ryan Carson – like, you were on one of his Twitter spaces, I think, when, like, the curtains went up and we were able to mint or – am I remembering that wrong? Zeneca. Oh, wrong. oh Zeneca. That's what it was. Zeneca. Yeah, Which, but
2: I think – but it was like right after Zeneca had taken, the, taken yeah the right Spaces right for around Brian. Around.
1: Maybe that's uh, – yeah, yeah, so, yeah. That's what so, it was. It was kind of a hazy period, yeah. yeah so it was – yeah. yeah, you're right. You're totally right. Yeah, I remember now Zeneca's voice and talking about it with uh, Emily. Yeah, um and just being on the show, uh, and then we are all like minting too at the same time. We we're all posting them, and they look so awesome. And to your point, what I – Really liked about your collection. I've only seen two two artists execute this um, successfully. And that's not to say that you're the only two, like I just don't know. But the two that I've seen do this successfully is you and Sabet have been the only ones that I've seen so far that have been able to take um, like a generative collection, but it doesn't look generative. Like he did the same thing with Tokyo Punks, I feel like that. It doesn't really look like a generative one. And I wouldn't have known if, like, you know, you didn't say it. Um, and same with the Stoics, the way that you've built that and the uniqueness of each one, like, I, it, it's really difficult to find that, like, because with the generative art, excuse me, of art, there's always that common denominator, um, whether it's like the outline of the ape or something, and different variations of the background. But with Stoics and Tokyo punks, like. It's darn hard to really just, like, find that they're all so unique that they just really look like they just stand on their own merit.
2: Well, it's a different type of generative, though, too, I would say, because, like, the Stoics are all hand-drawn. I mean, mm-hmm. it's digitally drawn, but it's, they're all, like, all of the shapes were my drawing. So there's, like, almost 200 characters or something. And then within that, like, I don't, I didn't do stuff where you add, like, weird like hats or anything like that. I just made it so the color variation or the addition of the little scrap materials like maps and stuff, that's what made it generative. So in a lot of ways, it really is just a fine art collection just done in a way that I think adds, (laughs) kind of makes it Web3 by making it generative.
1: Yeah, I have mine the on my uh, digital frame. It's one of the ones that cycles, and yeah, I just love seeing it every time that it comes up. So um, definitely would place it in the fine art category. So just a couple more questions for you. So, uh, so you've got the friends collection, which is. I would say probably your most accessible one in terms of price, right? Like uh, if someone were to go on yeah. like OpenSea. Um, and then like outside of that, like in the orbit, let's say, um, would be Stoics, right? Um, maybe there's a few other additions in between. I don't know. Uh, smaller, or I don't, I'm mm. not sure.
2: I mean, those two for the most accessible, yeah. for sure. My my art tends to go for more. Uh, yeah.
1: Right. Yeah, that's what I figured. And so leading up to it, so then you have probably like additions outside of that that um, are not part of the – like they're just, you know, additions of maybe 20, 25, 50, I'm picking random numbers. So what I'm leading up to is are there any Gabe Weiss, like that would be like the orbit. Like if someone was just really trying to work their way up and they started off with like a, a Friends and then, a, you know, a Stoic, then maybe addition like – is there a universe of um, Gabe Weiss true one of ones that you drew from, like, you know, beginning to end out there? I'm assuming they're yeah. probably very
2: difficult to obtain, but do they exist? Well, like, so two, almost two years ago, I think I had maybe to this day, like, up there with the largest NFT shows ever is that Bright Moments in Venice mm-hmm. Beach, Los Angeles. And it was um, kind of right at the... September, I don't know, things were just frothy and going wild, and there hadn't been any. It was like just kind of opening up a little bit. It was by far the the craziest thing I'd done in the pandemic, as far as like being in a room with hundreds of people. I was like, yeah, I'm being a rebel, go. man. <laughs> I was like, I'm getting COVID for certain. I'm getting COVID, but I end up not. But I, uh, there was just so, so many people there, and we did all. In all these one-on-ones so the collection is called artifacts by gabe weiss and it's one that not very many people know and then when people find it they ask if it's fake because it's like there's zero et- <laughs> but for, we did it through the bright moments thing so it's some of my most expensive nfts like some of them went for really high prices but they didn't they didn't show up. The prices didn't show up on on the blockchain because of the auction uh. um, that they used, and then no one sold one. So it's like a collection with zero ETH traded. That all the pieces look like they went for zero, and it's like, well, actually, these went for eight ETH when ETH was four grand. So like, um, they so that's one. And then my very first NFTs. I think maybe my first ten. So if you go to art by Gabe Weiss on OpenSea, and then went into like the oldest, those will all be one on one Some alpha for your listeners is like I think a few of the like a few of the early collectors were people that just liked my fine art, and then kind of got. Roped into buying an NFT that I don't know if, how much they collect NFTs. So you might be able to secure a grail and that first 10 at decent wheat offers. All right. Challenge accepted. I, uh, with a
1: Sabet, um, I tried for the longest time to get a one-of-one, and only recently, and I haven't even really, I didn't even tweet it because it's like, I got it, I got it, I got it, I'm not telling any, it's going in the wall. it's going in the vault, I'm not even going to socialize it because I don't want anyone to know about it, or try to like, you know, fish me, or anything like that, but (laughs) Challenge accepted with you. I've, tr- I've also been trying to keep an eye on the uh, one-of-ones. And I uh, did see that Artifacts one. I, yeah, I thought maybe it's like some sort of... I, I just kind of glossed over it. Um, so, okay, I kind of... Uh I guess yeah. not competition with the listeners to see who that
2: does. <laughs> yeah, those ones might be hard. Those are some of my, to this yeah. day, some of my top collectors and people that have stayed really true and nice and people, I mean, just part of history. I mean, hundreds of people showed up to this event. Totally. And yeah. a lot of people like made lifelong friends through it. So, yeah, but I hope everyone that hears this, gets gets a chance to, to go in. I mean, Sabet, I don't know if you know, is was one of my best friends on the planet. Yeah, so, yeah. So happy to hear that you got a one-on-one from him. Uh, we, early on, and we still talk probably two or three times a week, but during, during that craziness, we would talk like every night, at like four in the morning, just like, you stayed up crazy hours at all times <laughs> <laughs> making art. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, Very, that's awesome, man. Dear, dear friend of mine.
1: Yeah. He did mention that. Um, and so actually he was, when I did get it, I immediately texted him, but I didn't tweet it or, you know, tell anyone or anything. I sent him a text and just say, Hey, I got a one-on-one of yours. You know, finally did it. It's like two years in the making. Cause I had like virtually everything else of his other than that, you know, elusive one of one. So I'll get to you at some point though. It might take some time, but <laughs> I'll crack that yeah. code. <laughs> <laughs> um, my listeners will probably beat me to it now, but okay, that's fair. <laughs> um, So anyways, uh, one last uh, question for you. I always like to ask uh, successful artists this like yourself – I do have a lot of artists who do listen to the podcast too. uh, So they're always interested in how like the successful folks are doing it. So what words of wisdom do you have like to an aspiring or emerging uh, artist who's just kind of starting off in this space or even might have been in the space for a while, but just kind of feels a little disappointed or uh, a little bit demoralized by um, things not selling as quickly as like that era that you just described when you're up with uh, up till like 4am and, you know, talking
2: and uh, painting with Sabet. Couple things. One, like I don't think it's the best to need the money from NFTs in the same way you talked about not, not like needing the money if you buy an NFT. Like I think in the same vein of like if you just start to sound really thirsty or bitter. So you're like, right now, keep trying to mint a lot of stuff and it's not selling. So, like, demands your friend when things are going. I mean, there's going to be other bull markets. So, have stuff kind of ready to go and maybe over mint a little bit during a bull market. And then in a bear, it's like, it, it, it behooves you to still be out there on Twitter and. Being a part of the community, showing up at events if you can, but it doesn't behoove you to like complain a lot about the market and put out a million piece of work. Cause the second you look like I can buy if if people can buy your NFT tomorrow, then chances are they'll never buy it. Like if there's not some immediacy to needing to buy it. So those are some of the, the better things I, I, I can think of. And then create an email list. Like don't make the algorithm from Twitter, like shape how many of your would be collectors you get to talk to.
1: That's really good advice, especially that last part there, because I think we all too much build this dependency on Twitter. And to your point, I mean, it's an algorithm it's changing all the time. And you know, it seems like it just goes by whatever's uh, flying by the seat of like Elon's pants. So uh it's just, yeah, d- don't take control of that, you know, uh, and just uh, have an email list. I think that's great advice too that hasn't come up on the podcast. Certainly have heard um, scarcity is like a real thing. So just like, you know, tap the brakes. And I've also heard in the same vein is that it's a bear market now, but there's always going to be a bull tomorrow. So just like be ready and have your things, you know, ready to go because you never know when it's going to hit. And even in a bear market, you never know when it's going to hit that. You might be that outlier. And so just kind of being ready and having things uh, in the pipeline would uh, definitely beho- behoove you.
2: Or become friends with some devs too. I think like mm. if you look at Patrick Amadon was a friend of mine who just had a really successful drop, but was like on a new contract. Um, it was called Doppelganger. And so you put actually like seven NFTs in it. And then you have to like spend a little bit of gas to get which one you want to come up. But you still have access to all seven. And he sold 256 of them at one ETH last this month, which is pretty, pretty mind blowing in this market. Um, ACK did like 48. Pianos and made like 1.4, or 1.8 million dollars this month. Um, so it, it's not like it's dead. I just think like kind of asking yourself like why it belongs in Web three, mm. and I think that's something that I've a little I've taken more notice of because early on I was just putting out art because I just for art's sake, and more mm. lately I, I think. A little bit more of the collectors that are still around are more kind of tech-friendly folks, so if you can think of any way to add a little cool spin or have it be more about the technology, I think that also probably behooves you. Just even stuff like the generative friends drop was like kind of playing with Web3 a little bit more than just, here's my one image. That's
1: such good advice uh, that I never even thought of. And I kind of, I mean, just thinking of myself as a collector, I'm not going to say I'm super technical in the least bit. My background, I mean, as an undergrad, I studied uh, economics and got my MBA, but I did grow up in Silicon Valley. I'm a Cupertino kid. So, I mean, it's kind of a little bit in my DNA. So, I'm part of that demographic that you just described that um, like tech always kind of is appealing and hearing any. Anything around like novel, cool mechanics, even though I might not necessarily understand everything about it from A through Z, but it just might like strike a chord there that there's something unique here. And I think even from a collectibility standpoint, there's always something cool about being the first to do something. And so it is novel, and it's like the first thing from a tech standpoint. People kind of just gravitate towards that. And like what you said is that a lot of the folks remaining in this space for now, I mean, it's going to get better again. Um, are more technically inclined, so I. I think that's really sage advice, man. And I guess that's why you are who you are. So, um, Gabe, really, really do appreciate you making the time. It's really an honor to have you on the pod. Appreciate, uh, you know, the time that you spent with us, walking us through your collections, your journey, and your words of wisdom that you just
2: imparted in us. Thank you so much for the thoughtful questions. had a really good time and uh, hopefully... Yeah, hopefully there's a little, a few tidbits in there to help some other artists and maybe a couple new Gabe Weiss collectors out there too.
1: And that was our conversation with the amazing Gabe Weiss. He's just an artist with, with such a big heart and I really enjoyed my time with him. Check out his artwork in the show notes and consider grabbing a Stoic to add to your collection. So now on to the shout outs. This is something that we do at the end of each episode to thank the people who minted the last episode. In this case, it was a trailer episode. So kind of a little bit of a trial run. It's one of the perks for minting. And since we're getting a lot more minters, the thank yous, the shout outs will be a lot more brief um, in the interests of time. So I want to just thank the following people for minting the last episode. And the list starts with Kapluie, who was a big mentor. RJD, the photographer, another big mentor. Arts and Design, another big mentor. CL7, who was a whale mentor, minted th- a lot of episodes. Thank you for the support there. Hustler, a big mentor. Inceptionally, a full set holder. Thank you for coming by again. Andre Decalife, same to you. Thanks for coming by again. Emil Mto, dear friend and artist. Thank you for coming by again. Full set holder, The Park Guy, DVD Dan, uh, another good guy, uh, full set holder. King Neptune, Cyber C, the artist who actually has an amazing drop going on right now called Bang. Uh, look for it on my Twitter feed. I've made some references to it. Check it out. Really awesome on chain uh, generative art drops. So, uh, Cyber C, thanks for. Thanks for listening and minting. Enable 92. Fraggy. I might have pronounced that wrong. My apologies. Feel free to send me a DM and correct me on that. The Rev, a dear friend, full set holder. NFT Leaser. Mo 51. Goldcoin Admirers Good (laughs) Art. I like that name. 21BE. Mo1222. Dutchy345. S.J.S. Inc., dear friend, Full Set Holder, thanks for coming by again. Sir J33bus, RGC, Oscar Machinery, you guys all minted the last episode. Thank you so much for, I think it was like 229 mints or so. Really appreciate you guys. And listen, if you weren't able to mint the last one, that's okay because you have an opportunity to mint this one. Check out the show notes, follow me on Twitter, turn on notices and I'll uh, tweet the link for the uh, for Nifty Gateway on where you can go to mint the episodes and just be eligible for some cool perks, including the shout-out. So I appreciate all of you, minting or not. Thanks so much for listening, and until next time.
0: Welcome to the blockchain experience, experience Bringing dope content to the audience Welcome to the blockchain Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the blockchain spell. a David's got so much to tell. Bringing you the latest news with our feel. Hey. Decentralized and secure. It's been making way. New tempo with color. It's not the same old way. From finance to hard. it's bringing all the trust. The blockchain experience—it's a must. Hey, welcome to the blockchain experience. experience. For the big boys, it's for everyone, it's a new way of doing things, it's a second run, so jump on board, uh, join the revolution, it's a blockchain experience, it's a movement, give it up, give it up, give it up, give it up, give it up for the blockchain experience, it's a game changer, it's a game changer, welcome to the blockchain experience, experience, Give it up, give it up for making to David. Hey. Give it up, give it up, give it up for making to David. Hey. Welcome to the blockchain experience, experience. Bringing dope content to the audience. Welcome to the blockchain experience, Bring Bringing dope content to the audience. Welcome to the blockchain experience, the blockchain experience, experience. Bringing dope content. Welcome to the blockchain experience, bringing dope content to the audience.